Stay tuned for the Wine Crush podcast, where winemaker stories are uncorked. Wine Crush is supported by Country Financial Insurance. Welcome to Wine Crush, where winemakers tell the stories behind the vine. I'm your host, Heidi Moore. Glad to have you here for the fifth episode of Wine Crush. Thanks for joining us on Portland Radio Project. Today, we will hear two insightful wine stories, the first from a two-generation family business who saw amazing potential in the newly acquired property, and the second will feature another family winery who use organic techniques to achieve their signature wines. First here from Kramer Wines is Kim and Becky Kramer. It's double the pleasure with both of you here to talk to us. That's right. That's how we roll. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I love it. So when I came to talk to you, you told me that this was second generation wine for the family. Mm-hmm. So tell me kind of how that plays in, how you guys got to where you're at as far as the property and the, the winery and Gaston and where you two fit in now as second generation wine. So as far as my role goes, this is Kim, winemaker. It was really interesting because when I came in in 2008, my parents had made a lot of decisions. They started planting the vineyard in 84. um, So I was working with an established site and they had already discovered what parts of the vineyard made the best Pinot Noirs and had already gone through some of the trials in the field with clonal selection. And so when I came on, I was able to benefit from all of that experience and then just build on that more, um, which was great because I wanted to start a whole new project with the sparkling wines when I started making wine there. So did you start out as a young kid wanting to make wine or did you have aspirations of being an astronaut or a who knows what? <laughs> yeah. So wine was probably the last thing that I thought I would end up doing. Growing up, I saw my parents work very, very hard in the vineyard, and I wanted no part of that. It was dirty and cold and wet, and it seemed like harvest activities got in the way of fun things like Halloween, and so I just wasn't really about it. And so I was like, I'm going to go to school, and I'm going to get a 40-hour work week and two weeks paid vacation and benefits, but I had no idea in what exactly. And so when I grew up and um, got into the world a little bit, I found that I just really, really, really loved wine. So it eventually came calling to me. What about you, Becky? Was Were you the one with the aspirations and the dream to leave the state and do something completely different? Okay, so my current role is I'm the general manager. So um, my ultimate goal in my position is to get my mom into retirement or at least make her life a little bit easier. Um, and I always wanted to come back to the family business and growing up, my story is much different than Kim's cause I loved making money and I loved doing like the chores. I loved ag. I love the manual labor. So I was helping out, um, at the vineyard quite a bit. Um, and, uh, you know, hindsight, it took me a while to figure out where my path was in college and I ended up going into business management. Um, and that's really where it fit in. And then I realized, I needed to come back and manage the family's winery at some point. So I don't know. That's kind of it in a nutshell, I guess. Yeah. So that's fantastic. And you two, I'm assuming, get along and you enjoy working together. Sure. Yeah, we work <laughs> together and live together. I think we know into, um, you know, where our boundaries are. <laughs> well, and it's great because we have different strengths, too. I'm very technical and really enjoy the nuts and bolts of fermentation, fermentation management. And Becky... I think has a much stronger business sense 
than I do. And also she thinks of uh, ways to improve the visitor experience all the time that I wouldn't have necessarily come up with myself. So it's been really, really great to be able to work together, plan our strengths and really improve what's going on in the family business. Yeah. I think I think it's great when a family can stay together, work together, and actually enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. And, and it sounds like you have some great programs and sparkling and all kinds of things coming up. So when we come back from the next segment, we are going to talk about that. You're listening to the PRP Podcast Co-op on Portland Radio Project at 99.1 in the heart of Portland and streaming worldwide at prp.fm. Welcome back to Wine Crush, the podcast where wine stories are uncorked. I am Heidi Moore. Our guest is Becky and Kim Kramer from Kramer Vineyards, and she's told us about the family business, what their roles are, and they hinted a little bit to what they are doing up at the vineyard. So I want you to take the wine and really run with it and tell us really what makes Kramer Vineyard special. Yeah, sure. So there's a few things that we do at our place that I think are really interesting. Um, the first is, as I mentioned before, we have an established site. Average vine age is over 26 years now. So most of the wines that we make are from old vine fruit. And I think that that's really important for balance and ageability of all the wines. Um, we make Pinot Noir, Chardonnay, Pinot Gris, Mueller Turgau, Grunewald Liner, and then we have a whole line of sparkling wines as well. Uh, sparkling wine is really what I get excited about, and it's something that's been growing a lot for us recently. This last year, we released 14 different sparkling wines, and sparkling makes up 40% of our complete production. Which is pretty unique. Sparkling is just kind of making its way back to the valley, and people are releasing one or maybe two, and you have 14. Yes. And then you also said a couple varietals that we don't hear very often. Yeah. So your Mueller and the the Gruner, and there might have even been something else in yeah, there. Yeah, Pinot Meunier. I didn't mention that one. That's, a, that's kind of a unique variety, too. So, yeah, I think when we come across an interesting grape variety, an interesting clone that we haven't worked with before. You're always trying to think what is the best use of this fruit. And my thought process is, you know, first, can we sparkle this? And if not, then, you know, what else can we do with it? So why sparkles? I mean, why did you focus on that? Was it just a passion and love for sparkling wine? Or is it more of a marketing strategy of really standing out in the wine country? I would say that it's uh, that I love, I just love that style of wine first. It's something that I started making without any intention of selling it. Uh, my first uh, vintage of sparkling wine I made for myself and um, planned on drinking it by myself. And then I started sharing it with people and they really liked it. And so I thought I might be onto something. And then I started talking to my folks about making sparkling wine from estate fruit. And after they tasted the wine I was making for myself, they were really into the idea. And so it all kind of snowballed from there. It really wasn't until we were fairly advanced in the project where I started to think that other people might buy it too. Because initially we just made, I don't even think it was more than 200 cases of the wines. And when they sold out really, really fast, then I was like, okay, we need to make more of this stuff. Yeah, you're on to something there. Yeah. So when I was up at the tasting room, there was a couple different flights, a couple different ways you could drink the wine. Mm -hmm. And is that where Becky has come in with kind of help developing those tasting flights, those programs, the interest for the people that are coming up to visit you? I would say so. Yeah. And, and help from um, our tasting room manager as well. Yeah, it's beautiful. So we didn't talk about exactly where you are, which is hidden in the hills of Gaston. So it's not a quick drive where you just pop off, you know, of 99 or 
wherever else. So tell us about the site and really what makes it special. So we're uh, about a 40, 45 minute drive west of Portland. Um, so you can, it's a good day trip. And what I think is really special about our site are a couple of things. Um, one, we're a little bit higher elevation. So where our tasting room sits, it's about 740 feet. So once you get to Gaston, you go up a three and a half mile drive up a hill. And, uh, and I think that's really important because where we're situated, our fruit tends to have really nice balance, which makes wonderful both sparkling and non-sparkling wines. Um, also, because of the hilliness of our site, I have a lot of variability, which means I have one of the reasons why we make so many different wines that we do is because those differences are in the fruit from the get-go. And so that's, I think, you know, some people might look at that as a challenge. I look at it as an opportunity. Yeah, when I was up there, it was just I walked in and it was raining and cloudy and when and foggy. <laughs> yeah. When I walked out, it was beautiful sun shining and it was just beaming yes, through there. Yes, yes, yes. It's one of those things that I say if you have not been to Gaston and if you've not explored the wine up there, you really need to take the trip and come out and explore it. So we're going to talk a little bit about your events that are going on up there because you have some cool stuff going yeah, on. They're yeah. very unique, and we're going to touch on that when we get back. Great. Support for Wine Crush comes from Country Financial Insurance, offering simple steps today to solve big problems tomorrow. For more, go to countryfinancial.com. We are back with Kim and Becky Kramer from Kramer Vineyards, who was just about to tell us about the unique things that they have going up at the vineyard. But I also wanted to say thank you and what a special treat for bringing in the bubbles that you brought today to share with us. They're they're so good. Oh, thank you. Well, I think it's pretty much expected at this point that if we come to a party, we're going to bring some sparkling wine. I need to start inviting you to everything I do. <laughs> yeah. Bubbles are always welcome no matter where I'm at. That's usually the reaction that we get. I bet. Yeah. Everybody's best friend. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Okay, so there's a couple really fun things that you guys have got going up at the vineyard and the tasting room and stuff. So let's start with Growler and Howler because I love the name. Yes. And it's you just not really sure what to expect from that. It could be a Halloween party. It could be a beer party. <laughs> so you tell me what it is. So Growler Howler, this is a wines on tap slash live music tasting. Uh, we typically host it outside on our patio. And it's really just to present the wines in a little bit more casual environment because I think that that's the type of uh, presentation that you have with the wines in the growler um, and just to make the wines a little bit more accessible and, and relaxed. The wines that we choose to serve on tap, so, uh, we typically have a white wine or a rosé and then a, a Pinot Noir. And um, they're usually wines that are from the most recent vintage. And so uh, they're very fresh. The whites are often quite dry. In the case of the reds, we can choose from whatever barrels are our favorite in every any given moment, which almost always when you go through a barrel room, you'll find four or five barrels that are just singing. So the Wines on Tap allows us to do that. And then combining it with an outdoor event with live music is just kind of a nice bonus. So the growler is the actual on tap wine going into a growler yeah. that they leave with. That's right. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. 32 ounces of wine. Whoop, whoop. That's great. <laughs> I will have to definitely mark that on my calendar. And do you furnish the growlers or do I need to bring my own? Uh, if you have a 32 ounce, then you're welcome to bring that. Uh, we also have growlers available for sale on site. Perfect. And then 
Becky was telling me about your camp out in the vineyard, and she rattled off a whole bunch of things that I did not write down. So I'm going <laughs> to let her start from the top on that one because it's almost like Solar Eclipse Part 2. Yeah, so we had so much fun with the Solar Eclipse event last year that we did that we decided to host another camp out this year. But, you know, we can't make another eclipse happen. So we found out that August 10th is S'mores Day, and it's also the peak of the Perseid meteor shower. So we're going to host a camp out on that day. There's going to be a s'mores bar, and we're also going to have some bluegrass music. So are we talking like campfires? I mean, yeah, and- we're, we're planning on a fire, and then people can either camp in a, an RV or a trailer or a tent. And what was really uh, cool about the the last camp out that we hosted for the eclipse is people are really into vineyard camping in a way that I wasn't quite expecting. They were um, setting up their tents in the middle of the rows and then, like, decorating them. Yeah, it was tent glamping. Yeah, it was so cool. <laughs> How crazy. Yeah, so I'm hoping to see that again. One of our friends had, like, lights and music. And I think he had a laser light show that was timed with the music. So we would like to see more of that. Yeah, I think we need, like, pictures and video, and I apparently need some more spare time that I can think of how to glamp up my tent. Yeah, there you go. Yes. Um, So what else do you have going on up there? Um, We have a a series of special tastings that we host, uh, vertical tastings, horizontal tastings for experimental wines that we do. We have a series of winemaker dinners coming throughout the summer. Uh, club releases, including sparkling clubs. So we try to present a wide range of events for people who are looking for a wide range of wine country experiences. So anywhere from kind of somewhat sophisticated to, I don't know if you'd call it redneck wine camping, but... Casual fun. Yeah. Casual fun. Yeah. Because like wine is a part of our everyday life and uh, it doesn't have to necessarily be white tablecloth, your finest stemware, super expensive bottle. Um, You know, it can be a nice glass of something from the tap too. Yeah. It's nice when you kind of have a variety of that and kind of bring wine down to really an enjoyable casual level for everybody to enjoy. And and definitely not the fancy pretentiousness that sometimes it gets a rap for. So, well, thank you, too, for coming all the way to Portland and in visiting with us and tell us about your events and the wine and the sparkles and bringing the sparkles. For sure. And I'll definitely be up there soon. Great. Thank Sounds you, Heidi. good. Thank you. You're listening to the PRP Podcast Co-op on Portland Radio Project at 99.1 in the heart of Portland and streaming worldwide at prp.fm. Welcome back to Wine Crush, the podcast for wine lovers. Now you'll meet another winemaker who has a unique approach to his craft. Welcome, Patrick, from Dominio 4. Thank you, Heidi. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, thank you for coming up. Actually, I got the pleasure of driving you up today, so I knew you'd show up on time. We live in the same community. It is. It was great. It was nice chatting with you all the way up here. So I had the pleasure of coming out to the farmhouse where your tasting room is outside of Carlton. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about kind of where you started, why your why was what it was, and kind of, you know, what your path was. Because it's not the same. It was a little bit more globally directed. Right. We have kind of a story. My wife and I, Lee Bartholomew, we sort of started out with a common theme of being naive, I think is the way we put it where we made a series of kind of uncommon decisions about life early on, you know. So we were in our early 20s and uh, out of college and loved wine and decided we'd go back to graduate school and we would tour the world making wine in different countries. So that was our start. So where all did you decide to make wine at? It wasn't just like going straight to France. You were Mm. literally all over the planet. Yeah, so our very first job, um, we were 
living in Seattle and I was a paralegal. I dialed the phone for a winery in town, Andrew Will. And I handed the phone to her as it was ringing to Lee. And I said, here, our first job. She Which she was probably really thankful for. Yeah, she just... was petrified. Yeah. And, uh, but that was our start. Then we moved from there to uh, Chile and we worked a, a harvest uh, about half a year in Chile and um, back to Napa and where we did a series of um, harvests in Napa and went to UC Davis and did our graduate programs there and then went to New Zealand and to Burgundy, uh, a little town called Gevray Chambertin, and then back to uh, Oregon in the year 2000. So where I I grew up in Salem, so I'm, both of us are ducks and that's where we met. <laughs> Perfect. You just turned off half the listeners now. Yeah. Well, the other half are beavers yeah, in our family, yeah. so it's fine. Yeah. It's, it's, it's where the agriculture is at OSU. So True. Very yeah. true. So with all these different travels and all these different harvests that you worked mm -hmm. on all these different, you know, in these different countries and these different islands, wherever you were at, what did you take from those experiences that you brought back to Oregon to um, start what you're doing now? Yeah, that's a great question, Heidi. I think our main focus was just to see the perspective of winemaking from different cultures. So to just be a part of their winemaking process, see how they lived life, what was important to them and their style of winemaking, and then come back and try to apply that to um, our style, which is kind of an amalgamation of all these world styles. So I think people would sort of classify us as more in the classic form of making wine, you know, so we get accused of being European sometimes. It's not necessarily a bad thing. Accusations, yeah. Accusations. Yeah. And you and Lee have almost different roles and different things. So, you know, Lee is um, more of a vineyard manager and that does that as a day job. Mm -hmm. And then you are um, doing the wine. And so how does that work as a partnership? I mean, it sounds like it's a great partnership, but are there challenges in? Yeah, it's, I think, you know, we, we get along pretty well when we when we don't step on each other's toes. It's been pretty easy, you know, I think for the two of us to work together she gets all the decisions in the vineyard and I, I have suggestions which then get, uh, you know, taken into consideration and, you know, I get free reign in the, in the winemaking. And I think we both kind of search the other's opinion quite a bit and we like to hear what the other has to say. So I shouldn't really say it's about stepping on people's toes. It's more about trying to integrate her view in the vineyard and my view in the winery. And just being good partners to make a great, great product yeah, and have right. a great life. Yeah. And we have a really, really special team. Ryan Kelly Burnett and Julia Cattrall in the in the winery that we've been part of for 10 years. And they're integral parts of that operation as well. We really triangulate our tastings and uh, those people are fantastic. So Sounds good. So we are going to talk about your wines here in just a second, but we're going to take a quick break and we'll come back and, and chat some more. Fantastic. Support for Wine Crush comes from Country Financial Insurance, offering simple steps today to solve big problems tomorrow. For more... Go to countryfinancial.com. Welcome back to Wine Crush. We are talking with Patrick from Dominio 4 on Wine Crush today. Again, thank you for coming out here, but it's time to talk about some wine. Mm -hmm. So let's start from the beginning. You have a little bit different approach on the vineyard management, which is you're going to tell me about in a second. But you also have some different varietals that are not typical for the Willamette Valley or what the Willamette Valley is typically known for, I guess. Yeah. So we started um, our winemaking and planting experience in Oregon looking for a site for Tempranillo, which is an uncommon grape in North America, but not so uncommon in Europe, like 
think it's the fifth most planted grape on the planet. So that was our first quest. Dominio 4 means the domain or the, the, that area which you care for. And we were looking for four different regions in the Northwest that we could grow different varietals or different mixes of varietals. And this, uh, this vineyard we found called Three Sleeps in the Columbia Gorge, we planted Tempranillo, Syrah, and Viognier too. And uh, we just had the opportunity to plant a new vineyard, which is on a heritage farm. It's a land grant from 1852, the Hendricks family. And, and it's beautiful. Beautiful, right? Native Americans before that, and just a gorgeous piece of property that we're planting Pinot Noir Chardonnay. And we'll see what else, but also has hazelnuts and cherries on. Yes, there was quite the variety out there when I came to visit. And it's a newer tasting room. You haven't had it that long. That's right. We opened in September, and it's... Uh, a 1916 farmhouse from the Sturmer family. So it's a beautiful place to, to come and slip back into time. It was very relaxing, and you're doing some really neat things that I took notice to, and the fact that some of the trees that you did take down in the cherry orchard that you've reutilized into the tasting room as, you know, in shelving and the bar and mm. all things, but I, which I, as kind of a geek, with stuff like that. Everybody but, loves cherry, right? Yes, cherry it, was, it was just... Such a nice, warm, cool touch, and especially when you hear the story behind it. So let's go back to the wine because uh -huh. there's more than just Tempranillo and Chardonnay that you're Correct. doing. So um, what else? And because you have a Syrah, I have three mm -hmm. magic words: bubbles, rosé, and Syrah. Syrah is lovely. And yeah. we had a really nice glass of Syrah at the tasting room that day. Right, we did plant Syrah, four clones of Syrah, in the Columbia Gorge, and we use those as uh, standalone Syrah. Uh, but we also use it in a blend with Tempranillo. So we'll, we'll try to come up with estate blends from different varieties that both represent sort of what the site is about and have an interesting quality between the two, uh, Tempranillo and Syrah. So you'd kind of touched on your farming technique, which is biodynamic, but you're also um, doing some organic stuff as well. So why is that important, and how does that affect the wine? Well, coming out of the University of California, it's pretty big ag school, right? So they teach you how to think in big economic farming terms. So what we wanted to do is think about things in a different way. So we started studying uh, biodynamics, which is essentially sort of old-school organic way with a little bit of mysticism thrown in. And it's essentially using common plants like chamomile flower or nettle to do farming in a kind of gentle way. So where you, you tell the vine that you want it to do a certain thing. Let's say you want it to fight fungal disease. So you spray 501 and that helps it to sort of do its own thing. This is sort of the ideas behind biodynamics. And really it's a process of learning how to do it for yourself and, and seeing what really works and, you know, not taking these sort of things for granted, but exploring the possibilities um, and seeing how the vine reacts to things. Because what we really want is a healthy vine that is like you and I, you know, completely in shape and fit and healthy and able to withstand all kinds of um, outside pressures and produce beautiful, tasty food. Yeah, it's, it's a term that you're hearing more and more often. And I get the same kind of, you know, vibe and kind of comment back as far as the biodynamic way of growing fruit. So we'll talk a little bit maybe more about that in the next segment, but we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to talk about what you're doing out there. Super. It's fun. You're listening to the PRP Podcast Co-op on Portland Radio Project at 99.1 in the heart of Portland and streaming worldwide at prp.fm. 
Welcome back to Wine Crush, the podcast chock full of winemakers' stories uncorked. I'm Heidi Moore. We have Patrick again with Dominio 4 with us today. And we were just kind of talking about the different things that you're doing out there. And it's not events and it's not necessarily, you know, these big winemaker dinners and things. Tell me about the memories and the kind of the family things that you were talking about out there with the farm. Mm-hmm. So we're, what we're trying to do is create stories for people to inhabit you know, things that people can relate to the wines with. And um, one of those things is a labyrinth. It's part of our symbol for the winery. And it's a it's an acre in size. And it's um, each row is planted to a different clone of Pinot Noir. And you can come and walk the labyrinth. And it should take 10 to 15 minutes to get into it. And in that process, you sort of leave behind a kind of a meditative trail, right? So you walk in, you walk out, you write your name down, we harvest the grapes, we make the wine, we barrel it, we bottle it, we call you back in two years and say, hey, your wine is ready. It's sort of something that is creating memories that you can then engage with and know, you know, this, this sort of thing of wine is, um, it just goes beyond flavor and taste. It's about connecting to place and connecting to people. And um, I think that's what we're trying to do is What a connect. cool idea. So is this on the, the Columbia Gorge site or is this in the Carlton site? Actually, there's two planted. So the Columbia Gorge site um, has two vintages in barrel right now. We're about to bottle one. And that is um, a slightly bigger 13-ring labyrinth from the Chart Cathedral sort of model. And you can go out and spend the weekend there at the bed and breakfast with my in-laws, Liz and Glenn, and they'll take care of you and, and uh, cook you a nice breakfast. And you can mosey on down to the labyrinth and have a walk or just take a bike ride in the lovely scenery there in the Columbia Gorge. So I know the Carlton Labyrinth, you're just um, planting it, if I remembered right, but you had kind of a planning for like a picnic table in the middle that you could kind of be in the midst of, you know, this kind of this meditation thing that you were talking yeah. about and you can eat and drink while you're, you right. know, once you find your way through. Yeah. That idea of having a campus where you can kind of meander out with a bottle of wine and sit down under a cherry tree on a picnic blanket and just enjoy, you know, being in the beautiful scenery. So that's what we're sort of after. Yeah. The thing that um, took me back is it is an old farmhouse, but it has this beautiful front porch um, that you can sit. And I believe there's rocking chairs there that you can sit and rock and look at the scenery, but there's also a play area for the kiddos on the side. So it is family friendly. Mm. You don't have to be just on a date or with the girls or whatever. You can bring the family and everybody's happy. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Plenty of room to roam that way. Yeah. yeah. Really cool old barn that old you are. Barn, yeah. Yes. Your old barn. It is. It's, yeah. it's, uh, it, yeah, it still still smells and still yeah. looks and like it's still in use. It's fantastic. So I can't wait to see what you guys do with it. Yeah, I know that's, that's that. in process. Mm. So you also mentioned this shape tasting concept, which is, um, it's very unique and it's very mm-hmm. artistic. And so I'm going to let you tell us about what that is and um, how maybe we can be involved. Yeah. So I think the original idea of shape tasting came from my inability to really write down good tasting notes. I would write down you know, good structure, great balance, like really long, you know, and then the next one, great structure, really good balance, nice and long. Tasting notes and are I very intimidating for yeah. me. Yeah. I stayed away from wine because of the tasting notes because they kind of freaked me out a little right. bit. Like who knows what Maduro tobacco tastes like or smells like, right? Yeah. Or old what leather. Yeah. And try to find that in wine, then you get a little confused and I'm the same way. So it made more sense to me to start drawing things out in a visual way. So you go from 
left to right, like you read over a time period, say 30 seconds or 45 seconds. And that was the first one that people were like, oh, wine is time. Yeah, it is time. It's like it starts differently and it ends differently. And you should be able to pay attention to what how it changes along the way. So you can draw circles when you see sweetness or you taste sweetness or fruit. And you can draw lines with arrows when you taste acidity. Or you can have um, draw texture dots for tannin or structure. So along that way of 30 to 60 seconds when you're tasting, you can draw different symbols that relate to the wine you're tasting. So that's been a really fun project. And you can, you mean, all you need to do is have a glass of wine and some crayons and everybody in the room could shape taste and represent how they feel about the wine. And be happy. Oh, definitely. And, yeah. And when we were there, I had commented on it, not knowing what it was. And as you described it, I'm like, mm -hmm. well, isn't that fun? I could totally sit down and do that. I mean, that's just such a great concept and idea. I just, I think it's great that you came up with that. Thanks, Heidi. Thank you again for joining us and sharing your creative vision of wine. I'm Heidi Moore, and this wraps up our fifth installment of Wine Crush. Everybody have a great weekend, and we will see you at the bottom of the glass. All those different, you know, locations and planets are... Our favorite planets to work in. Yeah, was it Mars? Mars or was is it our Mercury? Favorite planet, yeah. yeah.